Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It is the weekly show where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik van and my guest today is Tony Bell. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Vunani Fund Managers. Tony, welcome to the show. Our market is currently taking a severe beating. Um, uh, what is going on? Morning, Rick, and, and morning to all your listeners. The market is really going through a reset. It's, it's fairly normal at this stage of the equity bull market. We've got a background where U.S. interest rates are rising. The U.S. bond market is, for want of a better description, sniffing out a little bit of an inflation pulse ahead. Uh, the U.S. economy really is on something of a sugar rush. You've had the odd situation where President Trump has stimulated the U.S. economy at a time when it was already reaching full employment uh, with not a lot of spare capacity. Wage pressures are starting to rise. Uh, U.S. companies are finding it difficult to fill vacancies. So the classic signs of an economy that have reached the full extent of the expansion post the 2008 crisis are becoming very evident. And if you add to that the subtle but very important backdrop of the dynamics of what's happening in the oil markets, uh, you start to generate a little bit of a concern in markets that future inflation might be higher than was expected three or six months ago. And I think that in a nutshell is what the markets are telling us on one front. The other front that we have to look at is the currency market, which is starting to adjust for the increased pressure that President Trump is placing on China in particular. So you have a pattern in very simple terms where uh, interest rates are rising in the states in response to higher inflation and currency markets are adjusting in response to the threats of increased trade sanctions. And those two factors combine cause the equity markets to reprice at a lower level. But Tony, if you look at previous corrections, there's always been a trigger and it doesn't seem that there has been a significant trigger in this case. Yes, it's a nice question. The the trigger point has been there. It's just come in a different form. Uh, If one goes back in time to the first bear market I ever experienced, which was the 87 bear market, you typically find that the very big sell-offs come because of a liquidity crunch either in the debt markets or in the underlying equity markets or indeed in the derivative markets. And so I think what we're seeing here is really a price adjustment process to a set of macro factors that are starting to point towards lower growth in the future, higher inflation. And it's quite natural when interest rates have risen from 1.5% on the U.S. Treasury. I think that was the low from memory to current levels of about 3.16, that the price earnings multiple of the equity market will adjust. So I think the trigger points have come in the form of an adjustment in the U.S. Treasury rate and an adjustment in the currencies, particularly the renminbi that is creeping closer to 7 to the dollar. That is where um, I refer to the market as a reset. If we were to incorporate liquidity con conditions uh, with as a precursor to um, the market looking through into 2019 and 2020 where the probability of global recession is heightened 
uh, then I think we start to talk bigger bear market correction. So at this stage, I'm still seeing it as a as a pricing reset. Um, the triggers were were fairly evident, and we've been defensive in our portfolios here for quite a while, simply because we expected some form of price earnings adjustment to the higher interest rates and to the higher volatility in the currency markets. So what are you doing right now uh, in your portfolios uh, to mitigate this? We have been running very high cash positions and very defensive equity positions with short futures. Uh, so we've, we've been well protected into the last few days. Uh, at this point in time, today specifically, we're watching the markets. Uh, we are very well hedged. And as a consequence, we're looking to see whether the market holds trend support. And there's every, every indication at this point in the day is trading that the market will find support at these levels. The reason Sorry. for that, just to amplify, mm. is that we're not seeing any further weakness in the, the signals we watch. In order to become a little bit more concerned, I would need to see more price action in the U.S. bond market. And you'd particularly see it in the spread between the two and the 10-year treasuries. Those aren't moving. Uh, the the uh, CNY, the Renminbi, the Chinese currency, is holding below the seven levels. So for us, if uh, the readers were wanting specific or the listeners were wanting specific levels, a move above 3.3 on the U.S. Treasury, a move above 2 on the 10-year Treasury, and a move above 7 to the dollar on the Renminbi would be further signals that we're moving from orange to red. Markets have been in an extended phase of upward movement, the S&P particularly, uh, if you take out the top 10 stocks of the S&P or maybe the top 15 stocks, uh, the market has actually been deteriorating in breadth for a while. Uh, and so these top stocks, the top 15, have really done the bulk of the heavy lifting. And, you know, in the global equity fund I ran about three months ago, I, would sit, I sat back and I said to myself, these price moves are just unsustainable. Boeing, for example, had appreciated nearly 100% in dollar terms in one year. And those sort of price moves can't sustain themselves. So I think what we're seeing at the moment is unsettling for investors, but it's a, it's a very healthy correction, a very badly needed correction, which will recalibrate the pricing of the equity market. But looking at the JSE, it wasn't performing well even prior to this uh, reset, as you call it. Apart from a few outliers, um, the market has been under severe pressure, but it seems like we are also taking a hit with the other markets uh, in the world that have performed really well over this period. Is yes. uh, the performance of the JSC currently correlated with what is happening elsewhere? Yes, but the elsewhere is the EM complex. So to add a little bit of uh, granularity to our discussion, emerging markets as a whole have come off much more sharply than developed markets. And that really relates to investors feeling comfortable that companies can maintain uh, and grow their earnings. And in a world where you have less trade, not more trade, and you have China moving to a more defensive position, not a more free trade position, uh, EM does suffer, unfortunately, and we've seen this in the pickup in our bond yields. Uh, Bond yields across the emerging market spectrum have picked up. Emerging market currencies are weakened, particularly those with more dollar-denominated debt. And that's sort of very typical of the 98 period we had where 
for Southeast Asia in the spotlight. Now you've got Turkey and Argentina and to a lesser extent South Africa in the spotlight. I think if you look at the breadth of our markets, what you're also seeing is a very poor set of earnings numbers coming through uh, that doesn't really support higher multiples. So if you take our banks, for example, historically banks would have grown earnings somewhere between 10 and 15%. Now the new normal seems to be around 5 to 8% on the upside. And so the market has repriced for that. NASPAS, of course, skews our indices quite a bit. NASPAS up, everyone happy. NASPAS down, the market down. And I think that's the pattern that we're starting to see, which is very much a mimicking of what's happening in China. And if you have a look at our market in relation to the weakness in the Chinese renminbi, uh, those factors have become more correlated. So we, to a certain extent, have lost a little bit of that historic correlation we had with the S&P because the S&P has itself become so differentiated between the top performers and the rest of the market. And we are now more correlated with emerging markets and, ironically, the path of the renminbi versus the dollar. That's very interesting. But speaking about NASPERS, it is your uh, biggest individual holding in your core equity fund, and it uh, represents a significant stake of 18%. And, mm. and of course, NASPERS has been hammered in, in recent weeks and months due to the poor performance of Tencent. Mm. Uh, what is your perspective on, on NASPERS? So we, we're quite significantly underweight. It depends on which benchmark fund you're referencing. But we're typically in our uh, CAPI funds, we'd be sitting at a net exposure of about 6 or 7%. In the J403 funds, we'd be sitting at about 6 to 7% underweight NASPAS. So that is by far our biggest underweight position. Uh, and that's working quite nicely for us for the moment. I think it's one of the conundrums at a more broader level of uh, investors in the South African equity tracker funds and using SWIX as a benchmark is that NASPERS has formed such a large component of the fund that it's almost a binary outcome or large component of the market that it's a binary outcome. You know, at one point in time, uh, you're almost forced to hold NASPERS in funds simply because of tracking error considerations. So it is a skewness in the market that is not really part of South Africa's long history where one stock has taken up nearly a quarter of the market. The response that we've had from most of our clients over the past year uh, is to switch to the CAPI index, which we've implemented across most portfolios. And so it's only the benchmark cognizant uh, SWIX index that still carries that weight. The rest of the funds are sitting at between 6 and 8% exposure. Another significant stakeholding is BATS, uh, who has also been under pressure probably uh, mm. you know, seen as a safe haven in the current environment, but not performing well. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. Well, the other component part of our thinking, and that it would apply to uh, Vodacom as well, is in a world where we've tried to look at multiple touch points for our hedging strategy, uh, we've essentially used a combination of um, moving some nominal bond exposure to inflation linkers, from a duration perspective, we've used as much yield pickup as we can within the nominal bond space, particularly in the short to medium of the curve, focusing mostly on corporates. And in the equity side, we've gone for 
uh, I guess what people would call low-risk, boring, high-dividend high yield stocks. So if you have a look at something like Vodacom, for example, it's not the most exciting stock, nor is BAT, but they both have very healthy dividend yields, which when seen against a high cash holding augments the yield of a portfolio. And typically in our portfolios where we are targeting CPI plus three or five, those dividend yields make a meaning, meaningful contribution to that we're, we're looking to achieve. What should investors do uh, in, in this environment? Uh, that's always a tough question, Rick. It, it depends on on where you you want to go to with your investments. I mean, I, I do think having just come back from the Bank Credit Analyst Conference in uh, Toronto two weeks ago, uh, that we still have very good growth numbers coming through from the U.S. Uh, I'm not getting a sense that this is the precursor to a big bad bear market. Um, I think the market will be tested at these levels, but operating growth for the S&P 500 is still pegged at a very healthy 25% for next year. Um, I think we've seen the bulk of the move in U.S. Treasuries. Uh, And I think once uh, President Trump gets around to finessing, if I could put it that way, his trade discussions with China, we might start to get some relief in the currency markets. So I think, as always, the sensible approach would be in consultation with each individual's financial advisor is to properly match their time horizon to their risk profile. Uh, you know, often when these sort of market moves happen, uh, investment discussions tend to concatenate into days, if not weeks, whereas the uh, real balance of risk lies between months and years. Uh, and, uh, you know, clients with sufficient cash holding in their portfolios, as we have in our multi-asset portfolios, uh, should be looking to ride this out. So don't overreact. As a sort of an aside comment, I, I find typically that where we have a request from clients to increase uh, exposure, which sort of happened about six to eight weeks ago, and to become more risky in the portfolios, that's often a good contraindication. And, uh, you know, fund managers are naturally programmed to look at these sort of price moves with an eye on opportunity. Uh, you want to hedge your your overall market risk, but within these sort of price moves, uh, there certainly is um, selective opportunity. So don't panic in the short term and try and better understand the big picture so that one can set price moves in context. Um, watch the U.S. Treasuries as a marker of inflation. Uh, watch the currencies as a marker of trade risk. Uh, and make sure that your risk profile is appropriate for a your your liability and and risk needs, but also your your risk tolerance. And you know then what happens in the market within a week or even a month really shouldn't matter. I think once we develop a a much um, broader trend, which is indicative of a shift into a risk mitigating or bear market type regime. I think the debate's very different, but I think we're we're quite away from that. We would need to see a lot more of a constraint within the liquidity flows uh, within currency and and equity markets to 
to be deeply concerned that we're dealing with another uh, 2008 situation. So what you're saying is this is a normal market cycle. We've seen a correction, and obviously the definition of a correction is a decline of more than uh, 10%. But you don't think we're going to approach a bear market, which is uh, losses of more than 20%? Yeah. Well, just to add a little bit of uh, context to the question, we do have a bear market in some stocks. If you have a look at uh, the top 100 stocks in our market, I think we counted at least 40 stocks that are off 30% or more since their peak. So the broader market has weakened already. It has just been a little bit masked by the stocks, particularly the mining sector that's done very well. And so I, I think we're seeing a very healthy correction in a world that has been priced for high growth, low risk, and that world is now being priced for higher risk, uh, lower growth. But you would need some form of catalyst for the market to be driven into a bear phase uh, at this stage with um, earnings still being that good. The one caveat and takeaway that I came back from the BCA conference with was um, the dynamic in the oil market is very worrying. Um, for those that sort of haven't been around for a while, uh, they won't remember the, the oil shocks of the late 70s. Uh, and that is something that the analysts at BCA are very concerned about. The supply-demand dynamics within the oil market could start to tip the oil price above 100. And if we see that as the third market we've spoken about, uh, the bond market, we've spoken about the currency markets. The other thing I'm watching very closely is the oil price. If we start to see the oil price tip above 100, uh, we could see these equity markets start to more aggressively discount slower growth ahead in anticipation of a weakening of the U.S. economy as the effects of the Trump stimulus package work their way through the system. Um, part of the reason why... Uh, U.S. equities have been on such a tear is that the Trump stimulus package through corporate tax cuts created a very, very uh, good environment for companies to buy back shares. And so share buybacks are at an all-time high, which is partly creating some of the artificial demand that we've seen for equity in these very explosive moves that we've had in Amazon, Apple, Boeing, and the like. And that, that liquidity flow will will start to come to an end as the effects of that pa package taper off. And so what you could sort of see through the course of our discussion is that a number of tailwinds is now starting to turn into headwinds, and investors need to be mindful of the fact that when the headwinds do start to blow, the market does not appreciate at the same rate it has in the past. Um, and particularly for offshore funds where uh, they have been heavily exposed to the S&P 500, uh, it's been a particularly good time, and I don't think that rate of change in price can be expected going into 2019 and, and particularly 2020. So investors have to look a little bit more carefully at their portfolio and say, what sort of realistic real return do I expect, and how do I balance the real return that I have on relatively risk-free investments like short-dated bonds, uh, which are giving a good yield and cash, and how do I how do I balance that with my risk exposure?
You said earlier, a downturn like this uh, creates opportunities. Are there sectors on the JSE that are being uh, punished more than others uh, and offer value? Yeah, I think the key lies in, in, in looking at the dividend yields at this stage. You know, companies that are being able to that are able to pay seven to nine percent dividend yield, uh, that's a very very healthy offtake. It's uncommon to have um, fairly high market cap stocks paying such high dividend yields. So that's a more conservative opportunity to to look at. We've had a really good run out of mining stocks. I'm a bit more cautious these days uh, when I look at the mining stocks in the dollar funds that we run. Uh, they're telling a different story. They're telling a story where trade is going to slow and growth is going to slow into 2019. So the difference between dollar-based returns, RAND-based returns, I think, obviously, is the RAND effect. Uh, so I would focus on a more conservative positioning with a higher certainty of sustainability of low earnings growth, but that low earnings growth translates into a higher dividend payout. Uh, and that sort of sustains your 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 balance between your risk and your return. I can think of the banking sector that may offer those uh, dividend yields. Yeah, quality banking stocks. We've been focusing, as I mentioned, a lot on uh, Vodacom. We do have a little trade on with regard to the oil price scenario I've discussed, uh, principally through Billiton and Sassel. Uh, we still like Mondi for its RAND hedge qualities, uh, and its ability to sustain dividends uh, offshore. We, we're a little light on some of the retailers. We think that uh, the headwinds are blowing quite heavily. Um, so those would be the main areas we're focusing in. And then although BAT is a little bit boring, it carries a nice, a nice dividend yield. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you, Tony. That was Tony Bell, the Chief Investment Officer at Vunani Fund Managers.